0: Asia-Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia-Pacific region.
1: We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio
0: 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight the greedy capitalists?
1: Brought to you by Australia-Asia Worker Link. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents here on Community Radio 3CR. It's nine o'clock on the dot. I'm Giselle Hanna and I'm taking you through to 9.30 this morning. Of course, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. And if you want to get in touch with us or follow any of our campaigns or any of our activities, you can go to our website, all the website, We're on Facebook and Twitter as well and we post lots of news and uh, current affairs and issues from the Asia-Pacific region, of course, from a workers' perspective. So coming up on today's program in the second half of the show, I'll be speaking with Pierre Morrow, one of the, well, one of the producers of Asia Pacific Currents and many uh, regular listeners will be familiar with his voice. Um, But he's also one of the campaign coordinators in Australia-Asia Worker Links. Uh, What we're going to talk about in the second part of the program is our Global Picket Line project, which, again, many regular listeners to the show will know quite a bit about But Australia Asia Worker Links has just released a publication on the global picket line, a little bit of an instructional, um, a little bit of a discussion about um, that particular strategy that we've developed across the region. So that's in the second part of the program. But of course, um, first up is news from around the region. I actually thought what I might do even before that is um, make a community announcement about the anti-fascist counter-rally that's coming up and I'm going to play that announcement right now. A death cult.
0: Nothing but a death cult. Islamist death cult. The Islamist death cult. Have a look cult. at Islam in death Australia. Cult death cult. All these the mosques death being flag. built. This, this All is the halal a funds. death cult. To use this All term the money to they make by a death cult. These are the two enemies we're fighting. The communist left and Islam. Because the two
1: are hand in hand. You mean Abbott and Reclaim Australia's anti-Muslim racism go hand in hand. Yeah, and do you know that Reclaim Australia and the United Patriots Front are organising an anti-Muslim rally on Saturday the 18th of July at Parliament House, Melbourne. That's why the campaign against racism and fascism is organising a counter-rally. We're meeting at Parliament House at 10 o'clock so we can get there first, take the steps first and show them that their anti-Muslim hate speech is not welcome in Melbourne or anywhere around Australia. Not now, not ever. If you want updates on the campaign, text, subscribe to 0422726843 to join the updates list. The campaign against racism and fascism is a 3CR supporter. That's right. This year has seen a marked increase in the attempts by far right groups in Australia to capitalise on the current economic crisis. These groups are using the current government's increasing nationalist agenda and war on terror rhetoric to direct people's fears onto vulnerable groups in society. History has show, uh, history shows that these far-right and fascist organisations are a threat to workers everywhere and need to be stopped as soon as possible. Counter-mobilisations to these far-right groups by labour and human rights groups are being planned for all around Australia, as you've just heard in that announcement. And that's happening on the weekend of the 18th and 19th of July. There are two organising committees and we've got links on our website to both of their organising pages. Both of the organising committees are working together towards the counter mobilisation for Melbourne on the 18th of July. A really important counter demonstration if you can get along to it. Um, I'm one of the organisers of that counter demonstration and of course we've been tracking what the other side is doing. Um, There are a lot of um, splits in their ranks and Um, Many, many, many of us uh, believe that that is a function of the pressure that the left is exerting against these far-right right-wing groups. We have a real opportunity to knock them out um, in this next rally on the 18th of July, so please uh, get along if you can. If you haven't noticed, we are uh, in the news from around the region. I didn't uh, adequately announce that, but this is news from around the region. Uh, Moving now to China, since early June, over 900 workers employed by the Artigas Garment Factory in Guanlan Township, Shenzhen, have been on strike against the company's attempts to shut the factory and not pay their entitlements. This is not the first time the workers have been on strike. The workers have been occupying the factory around the clock to prevent the company from moving equipment and machinery. One of the leaders of the strike, Wu Weifa, has been in detention since early June. The workers are now facing the threat of violent removal by the police. There's an international campaign by Chinese labour groups that, seek, that are seeking support for these workers in their quest for justice. Uh, Moving now to Australia, in a situation that is becoming increasingly common in our globalised world, the giant energy company Caltex has been seeking to replace a unionised workforce with a non-unionised one. The aim of the company is to undermine the wages and conditions that Australian maritime workers have won over years of struggle. In response, the 36 fuel tanker crew of the Alexander Spirit have grounded the ship in Davenport, Tasmania since the start of this month and are fighting for their jobs and conditions. Rallies and actions in support of their actions are continuing. International action by other Caltechs maritime workers would be the most effective action to take. Moving now to Turkey, a few few years ago the workers at Turkish Airlines waged a hard struggle against the company to get over 300 sacked union members reinstated. In response, the Turkish government managed to organise a takeover of the militant leadership of the aviation union Hava İş, as well as splitting the workforce among different unions. The technical service workers have now won a court case that they should be part of the aviation sector again via their union, Berlisek Metal-ish, which is a part of the Union Federation DISC. The TA management, which is Turkish Airlines management, is now waging a campaign to stop these workers from joining the DISC union. The union is asking for solidarity messages so that they can be read out to members so that they withstand management pressure and remain members of DISC's metal-ish union. We've got an email address that we've linked to our website so that if you're interested in sending those solidarity messages, you're able to do that. As previously reported, Cambodian workers are campaigning against a new government labour code that would seriously restrict the right to organise and form unions in Cambodia. The outcome of such a law would mean that garment workers producing clothes for the Armani, or for Armani rather, would find it almost, you can tell I'm not a brands person, uh, would find it almost impossible to take action to improve their horrendous working conditions. A number of international labour organisations have signed a petition calling on the government not to pass a proposed trade union law. And again, as we reported last week, a number of activists of a group calling itself the New Democracy Movement in Thailand were arrested by the Thai military junta. Amid continuing international and external pressure, these activists have been released on bail but are still facing the possibility of many years in jail supporters from around the world have sent statements of support while a letter signed by a number of international labor and human rights organizations has been sent to the thai authorities calling on all charges to be dropped it's really important that we look at the situation in thailand not just as some peculiarity of the thai ruling class you know there have certainly been many many coups in thailand um, particularly in recent history but This is a product of the economic crisis. This is not a vacuum. Dictatorships don't just form because um, a country is filled with passive individuals. That's not the way to understand the situation in Thailand. And because of the economic basis of the crisis there, it's absolutely critical that the international labour movement support and fight that fight. Moving now to Japan, with the defeat um, of militant unions in the 60s and 70s, workers in Japan have seen their conditions progressively worsen, with casualisation and precarious work becoming widespread. Workers from all sectors are increasingly fighting back, both industrially and legally. Earlier this month, teachers at the Ishishan Gakun cram School won a legal ruling that the company was using unfair labour practices by not extending the employment contracts of teachers. In addition, the company was clearly targeting unionists in its actions. It is hoped that this win will inspire other Japanese workers to fight for permanent jobs. And now a new report highlights the systemic discrimination against migrant workers. The conditions that migrant workers have to endure in many countries in West Asia has been well documented. A new report has highlighted how the rights of migrant workers in these countries are systematically abused. The laws that govern migrant workers routinely jeopardise workers' legal status and thereby making them more vulnerable to crime gangs, greater exploitation And indefinite detention. As we've mentioned many, many, many times on this program before, um, human rights based organisations and other NGOs continue to produce these sorts of reports that expose the horrendous conditions that migrant workers endure. Uh, across um, many countries in West Asia, but really the production of reports is not how to fight that particular battle. The route or the reason that migrant workers are so desperately exploited is ultimately about um, maximising profits and the only way to fight back is industrially and if workers take unified solid solid um, excuse me um, solidarity action together. That does bring us to the end of the news from around the region, some community announcements, and then a conversation with Pierre Morrow from AAWL about the Global Picket Line recently released publication by AAWL. 3CR are selling Kafir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. Want to support Tricia's diverse and independent voices? Donate to Tricia's annual Radiotone. We still need your support and it's not too late to donate. Donate now by calling 94198377 or donate online at tricia.org.au or post us a check or money order to Post Office Box 1277 Collingwood 3066. That's right, it is absolutely not too late to donate to 3CR's Radiothon and as we've mentioned a couple of times on Asia-Pacific Currents, we are still about 40% shy of our target. So please um, do pledge to um, Asia-Pacific Currents for this year's Radiothon and do give 3CR a call on nine four one nine eight three double seven to make that pledge and commit those funds. Now, as many listeners know, um, Australia, Asia Worker Links has been developing an organising strategy called the Global Picket Line. We've reported extensively on the work we've done in the airlines industry, um, particularly around Philippines Airlines and Harbour Isha's struggles um, against privatisation, contractualisation, outsourcing and general bans on union organising in those industries. We've done similar work in the garment industry, particularly around health and safety, the collapse of um, Rana Plaza, or the murder of the workers in Rana Plaza, as well as the Tazreen factory, and linking that with the struggles in Cambodia and Indonesia. Recently, AAWL has documented this strategy in a publication called The Global Picket Line. And to talk more about that, Pierre Morrow, one of the organisers in AAWL and a producer of Asia Pacific Currents. Welcome, Pierre.
0: Good morning, Giselle, and a pleasure to be on your show this
1: morning. In the comfort of your home. Meanwhile, I'm out on this frosty Saturday morning.
0: Someone's got to do the hard work, Giselle.
1: So the seven-year development of the global picket line concept—I um, mean, the, I guess the first question I've got is: how many organisations spend that long developing organisational or, or, or organising strategies? I mean, was it really necessary that AAWL took seven years to do that?
0: Well, in, in some ways, um, I would actually—I was actually, actually thinking it probably took us even longer. Than, than that um, in the sense that um, it's really a distillation of lots of ideas and lots of efforts by um, activists, labour activists all around the, the region so even though AWL has, um, has produced this booklet and has set out this concept um, um, you know we really don't have copyright to it, we can't say we just sort of sat down and, and worked out all ourselves and also it's really been a Development over the years as the as the world economy has changed as the has kept integrating um you know our ideas have changed as well because obviously you know I remember many many years ago, for instance uh when things w- were happening in other countries, you know people would send solidarity messages, and you know a solidarity letter was seen as a really big thing or then a solidarity email was seen as a, as a big thing which it is. It, I mean, it's great for people to receive solidarity from other um, countries. And then, um, you know, as it developed more, people talked more in different countries, and so you know, you would go, "Oh yes, we've got the same disputes, we've got the same issues," and so you sort of think, "Oh look, the struggle is uh, actually very similar." So before the the, the pregenitor or the precursor to the global um, picket line it was actually something called the The Global Labour Movement Charter, which basically set out a 12 uh, points that all workers around the world um, actually um, need, and you know, and that right, you know, the right to organise unions, um, the right to secure employment, occupational health and safety, um, full rights for women workers, uh, permanent residence for uh, migrant workers, etc., etc. So there's a 12 points. But then, which was really um, um, good, but then we saw that it didn't have um, uh, a strategy or how to apply. And that's how we then decided, well, yes, we have this document and everyone says it's, it's really good, but what do we do with it? And this is then we went towards creating um, this document around the global picket line.
1: Um, I want to I want to talk a little bit more about the labour movement charter because while it is a twelve point set, so just to clarify for listeners, the global labour movement charter is a, a twelve point um, demand. It, it's a global demand for workers internationally, and and you listed what those demands were. And all of them seem, yes, you know, of course workers um, collectively or um, to- together would demand these things. But that document actually took a number of years of negotiating internationally. We put this labour movement charter in front of many, many of our regional partners across the world and we fiddled with it a bit, we took things out, we put things in and ultimately we we had to come to some kind of consensus agreement among as many of us as possible that, um, you know, the nuances of individual struggles in particular countries, that wouldn't work to have that reflected in a global labour movement charter, because any worker right across the, the world should be able to pick up this document and see themselves in it, see themselves in every single one of those demands. So it wasn't an easy document to, to produce.
0: Well, that's right, and you know I can only give a a, um, a broad uh, paintbrush of of the of the history. And I think I think the mo- the most important point I think uh, for me to come out from what just from what you said, but also from the global global picket line, is these are um, they're real they're live documents. Um, they're not meant to be used. They're, they've been produced, and so this is it as a kind of, of bible. So they're, they're, they're supposed to be used and they're living documents. And so, you know, and one part of the, of the issue that you, that you mentioned about, oh, look, it took seven years to produce this document of the global picket line, was that every time we, we had a version, we, we discussed it with other activists and people would come up and say, oh, yeah, but this point could be put uh, in another way, or what about this point, etc., etc. et cetera. So that's why, you know, it keeps... It keeps growing, but as you said, you don't want to make it too specific that um, you know all work, workers can't use it. And well,
1: but, but, sorry, just to cut you off, though, we, we have been talking about the global picket line for, for five minutes now and we haven't really said what it is. So do, do you want to quickly sure. talk about that?
0: Yeah, it's basically um, a concept that says that the, um, the, the economy is globalised And therefore, whether or not your workers are employed by the same company or or whether they are uh, in a a sector that's global, the the issues that workers face and the pressure of the companies to cut costs and to increase their profits are all the same around the world. And so to take um, unions' history, I was really successful at localising the struggle. Um, but now the, the economy has has become much bigger. If you look at the websites of companies, they all go and say, we are global, we operate globally. So that, therefore, we as workers also need to see that the struggle is not just, say, around um, um, in, in Melbourne, but it's also in Jakarta, it's also in Shenzhen, it's also in, in New Delhi. And so then the question is, how do you... Um, integrate our struggles so that we are all together. Because obviously the companies can move the production, can move the, the centers, can um, uh, the transport is, is globalized, so they can easily um, do what we call the race to the bottom, and and play um, uh, us off, off against each other and see where we are the most uh, disorganised and so they can impose the cheaper wages and the worst conditions.
1: And one of the ways that we, we've we also... I mean, it's interesting, Pierre, because lots of organisations talk about their commitment to internationalism. So when we describe uh, global picket line as organi- you know, a globalised economy, no-one would refute that. You know, we must organise together. No-one would refute that. But in practice... It is much, much more difficult. And one of the um, ways we started talking about this, it was how we developed the global, uh, the general global picket line strategy was if you, if you imagine a, a, a picket, like a, a factory is in dispute, the workers are at the front of the factory picketing and then the company opens the back door. So the workers are saying nothing in, nothing out. The back door is open. What, what is the automatic thing we do? We split the picket line at the front, we send comrades to the back and we hold both gates. But what about when the company opens the gate, not at the back, but in Indonesia? How do we say, okay, it's the same factory, it's the same globalised economy, it's the same um, strategy to cut our organising, put workers on the doors of those factories and nothing in, nothing out that was really the sort the concept behind how do we organize internationally because when you know philippines airlines for instance outsources all of its work who are those workers that are coming in to take those jobs how do you fight that strategy when Hava-ish the, has the identical strategy. They're both airlines companies. What is the language we can use to link those struggles and say this is the same struggle? Because ultimately, it is global capitalism.
0: Look, that, that's right, and I think um, you, you're very correct there. And and basically, the the global um, picker line is actually a concept of organising from, from below and horizontally, really, because workers... Um, working in a in the same sector in the same company, no matter what country, they will be easily be able to speak and understand each other and, and and they will they will see the relationship between them. And part of the global picket line um you know it has a has um um ideas on how to do um mapping um, how to look at uh, look at production looks at um, union mapping and dispute mapping, but also it 's got different levels of solidarity that basically looks at um, some of the points you 've raised and we 've actually put four levels of solidarity where it goes from solidarity messages are you give it solidarity message at the start and then it goes to much more integrated struggles as you um, you said. And our fourth and the highest level is really where we've termed it one struggle, where workers at the grassroots through the organisation actually coordinate the struggle internationally and see it as one struggle. So in other words, they see no matter in which country it is, they see it as the, as, the, as the same issue. And if I can just sort of say there is one, for instance, just to give an example, there is one struggle at the present moment, uh, happening in Davenport in Tasmania, uh, that affects the MUA, where Caltex, which is a global energy company, is wanting to take this ship uh, to Singapore, um, sack the, the the the Australian workers who are being employed under Australian conditions, and actually employ um, workers from um, other countries in Asia, which are obviously non-unionized, non organized, and they will be able to pay them. Uh, much lower wages. This is a perfect example of this heroic struggle by the seafarers, maritime workers in Devonport, has been undermined by the fact that the maritime industry is totally global, and Caltex is also a global company. And unless we start to look at, like you said, you know, where are the gates of the of the of the factory? Unless we start to see, well, Caltex is one company. Where are the other strong unionised sectors? within Caltex, and also where are the other ports around the region where workers can actually put pressure on Caltex not to um, uh, sack part of the workforce um, and actually lower wages and conditions because if they manage to do it here, then that will flow through to other um, areas of Caltex and other ports as well. And so it's very much um, seeing, like like you mentioned before, seeing it as, as a global... Global level and actually fighting the companies where they're at.
1: You mentioned some really critical concepts um, before you went into the example of Caltex. Some of the you mentioned mapping and then production mapping, union mapping, dispute mapping. Can you talk a little bit about what those concepts are?
0: Sure. Basically, just very quickly, production um, company mapping is basically it. Um, say take take the example of, of Caltex all right, company mapping would be to show where is Caltex, where, where is it situated um, and uh, what kind of offices and production have, they've got in what countries and what cities. Then you look at the production mapping and you say, all right, how important are each of these sites to the company? And obviously you're looking for the most important sites. And once you've found them, then you, you look at the union mapping and you go, well, where are workers organised? In other words... Where they are strongest, you think that's the greatest possibility to take action. So in terms of Caltech, say, for instance, you found that um, they had a big, uh, um, a, a big factory in Indonesia that was um, uh, well unionised, then that would seem a clear point of contact to say, hey, comrades, we've got an issue, can we actually talk about it and see what we, what we can do?
1: And just very quickly, in the last minute on the show, Pierre, if listeners were interested in getting a copy of this publication or somehow being involved in global picket line work, how would they do that?
0: Um, if they go on our website and they look for documents um, and they click on the link that says documents, they'll they'll it'll come up. Um, they'll find that on that page.
1: Excellent. Pierre, thanks so much for your time on the program, even though you're lying in the luxurious comfort of your lounge room. And we'll see you on the program in coming weeks. Thank you so much. No worries.
0: Thanks a lot, Giselle. Bye.
1: Pierre Morrow is one of the producers of Asia Pacific Currents. He's also one of the um, project and campaign coordinators in Australia Asia Workerlings. He's also the secretary of Australia Asia Workerlings. That's all we've got time for on Asia Pacific Currents this morning. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next Saturday from nine o'clock. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Giselle Hannah, and coming up next is Palestine Remembered.